my chickens are still with us. So we are going to do one last share in this series of the Halachas of Animals, touching on Sar Balechaim again. We're going to discuss a series of chuvos, mostly by Rav Cook, from the beginning of the last century. The, these chuvos were written on a subject that was, that, was, that was tremendously controversial around a century ago. It's not perhaps so well known today, particularly to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to us. We, we live in cities, we live in urban or suburban areas, not on farms, most of us. But this was apparently a, a, a profoundly controversial question about a century ago, to the extent that I've seen it written, I've seen it claimed that this controversy and its fallout was one of the things that led to the, the, the schism that remains today between the, the Haredi community in Eretz Yisrael and the Datilumi community. Ironically enough, the chuvas we're going to study tonight of Rav Kook, Rav Kook we naturally think of as the, the leader the, of the Datilumi movement, in this case, Rav Cook was on the other side. Rav Cook was vigorously espousing the position that the Haredim adopted. Moreover, I always like to point this out, people sometimes think because of Rav Cook's uh, innovative ideas, because of his, some, some of his uh, departures from tradition, departures from the establishment gedolim of his time, People sometimes think of him as somehow being uh, heterodox or more lenient or less, less rigid and less strict than other poskim. This is often completely not true. On many halachic issues, Rav Cook actually was very much a hardliner. In this issue as well, Rav Cook actually took the very strict view. He was very, very machmer, and much of the Datilumi community did not follow him. They ignored his position and followed the more lenient views. The, the controversy we're going to be dealing with has to do with, it was about milking cows on Shabbos. Now, a little bit of background before we do the actual chuvas. Milking cows on Shabbos is generally usher. The, 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 the Gemara makes this point very clearly. The Gemara says that milking cows is absolutely usher on Shabbos. As, as, the Gemara brings a b'raisa, Masech Shabbos, that according to Rebbe Eliezer, if you milk a cow, that is a melacha d'raisa, your chayavachatas. The Chacham say possibly disagree, they say Rebbe Leezer gives a whole list of things that he says are chayef chatas. The Chacham say these things are shvus, these things are only midrabanan. It's not entirely clear which things he's going on, which things the Chacham are challenging him on. Do they disagree about milking? Do, do they disagree about the other things? But what we have, what, 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 what we do know is that Rebbe Leezer, the Tana Rebbe Leezer, says that milking cows on Shabbos is a malacha daraisa. The Chachamim may or may not agree. The Chachamim may say that it is only an Isser Midrabanan. Then the question, of course, is if it is a Machlokes, how do we Paskin? Do we Paskin Daraisa? Do we Paskin Drabanan? So many we shown in Paskin that milking cows is a Malacha Daraisa. Some we shown in Paskin that it's Drabanan. If it, if it is Daraisa, it actually is not very clear which Malacha Daraisa it is. It, it has been, it, a variety of possibilities have been suggested. Dush, it's like threshing. Threshing takes the wheat out of the chaff, and, and uh, milking takes the milk out of the cow. Gozes, it's like sharing. Sharing, you take the wool off the sheep, and you're taking the milk out of the cow. Kotzer, the Kotzer is you, you cut something that grows off from the, off from the, 
from, from, from where it grows. You take the milk out of the cow, where it, where, where it grows and where it's generated. So there are a variety of different possibilities of which malacha we're actually talking about. The Gemara does not make this clear. But either way, the Gemara clearly says that milking a cow is, a, is usr. Maybe daraisa, according to many posts, commits daraisa. According to some, it's only draw butter. Now, the problem is that it's not always, it's not, it's not always uh, possible, it's not always easy to simply skip milking cows on Shabbos. There are several problems attendant on skipping a milking day. If the cow is not milked when it needs to be, the cow suffers from, uh, from having too much milk in its udders. There's also financial loss. The cow, you, you, you may lose the milk for that day. If the cow is milked, it'll produce more milk. If you don't milk a cow for a day, I don't know if you lose a full day's worth of milk, but you lose some milk, apparently, and depending on how much the cow is producing and how many cows you have, that can be a significant financial loss. Apparently, in some cases, the cow can even, even suffer injury if it's not milked. So there are a variety of reasons why farmers are very reluctant to skip milking cows for a day. And this, of course, is not a new question. This is not a question that first arose in the 20th century. Jews had cows for many centuries. And in the medieval period already, the post can discuss possible heterim ways to milk cows. The standard heter traditionally was to have non-Jews do it. Now we know Amir La'akum, asking a non-Jew to do, to do something that's usher for you on Shabbos, is generally usher. People sometimes don't realize this, but the, the basic halacha is anything that you're not allowed to do in general, you can't ask a non-Jew to do either. However, it's much less serious than doing the malacha by yourself, and we're much quicker to allow it in cases of need, in cases of financial loss, in cases of communal need, in case of special Shabbos needs, you don't have food for Shabbos, and so on, for sick people. There are many, many cases, many families of cases where we do allow Amir Lakum, we do allow having a non-Jew do malacha for you in cases of substantial need, and milking the cows was something that traditionally, when it needed to be done, when it would have been problematic to skip a day of milking, so milking the cows was traditionally done by non-Jews. The Jews would have their non-Jewish neighbors, their non-Jewish workers would do it, and that, that, that used to solve the problem. In the 20th century, in the Yishuv, the, the pre-state Yishuv in Eretz Yisrael, the, solu- the traditional solution of having non-Jews do the milking was not, always, was not always practical or not always desirable. Why not? So there were at least two primary reasons why people were reluctant to use non-Jews, why it was difficult to, to use non-Jews. One was ideological and the other was epidemiological. We can relate to this. The ideological reason, which we'll discuss in more detail as we go, was the, the doctrine of Avodai Evrit, the doctrine of preference for or insistence upon using only Jewish labor on Jewish farms, not bringing in non-Jews to have any participation in the economy of the land of Israel, the Jewish economy of the land of Israel. The, the epidemiological, epi- epidemiological objection was that there were apparently were certain diseases that were going around, the Arab laborers who the, who the farmers would have considered using lived in their own villages, and the British mandate had, uh, had rules, had restrictions on traveling. They were afraid that people would transmit these diseases. So at certain times, at least a century ago, it was actually difficult to procure Arab labor on the Jewish farms. So this is the background of the question. So the farmers were under tremendous pressure, felt themselves to be under tremendous pressure to find some solution to milk the cows on Shabbos. The problem is, you're not allowed to milk cows on Shabbos. The traditional solution would be to use non-Jews. 
non-Jews were, were often considered uh, a problematic solution. So the question, uh, the question arose, what do we do? What can we do for our cows on Shabbos? Additionally, I saw there's, the, 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 this controversy engendered a tremendous amount of halakhic literature, contemporary literature, Rav Cook, Rav Chaim Ozer Grudzinski, Rav Ram Chaim Noah, Rav Yehuda Waldenberg, Rav Benzion Meir Chayuziel, many others wrote, uh, it was a very fruitful halachic literature, and even today there are all kinds of historical documents, discussions of this controversy, there's an entire Wikipedia page devoted to uh, milking cows on Shabbos, which has a section on uh, historical milking cows on Shabbos, and, and a subsection called Pulmos HaChaliva Be'eretz Yisrael, the controversy over milking on Shabbos in Eretz Yisrael. So the, 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 the articles mention a, a, another historical factor, that around that time they had begun to import uh, high-efficiency dairy cows from Holland. These cows produced much more milk than the traditional cows did, and therefore the economic losses, if they couldn't milk on Shabbos, would be very large, and the, 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 the stakes had gone up considerably. So against this background, uh, apparently the fact was many Jewish farms were milking their cows on Shabbos, even, and they even had Jews doing it. And the postkin in the, in the 20s and 30s were grappled with this, uh, with this situation. Is there, is there justification for Jews themselves to milk cows on Shabbos, possibly with, the, with the ameliorating, certain ameliorating conditions or certain ways possibly to minimize the isser, to render it drabanan? Is there any justification for having Jews milk the cows themselves on Shabbos? So as we mentioned, the, one of the most famous of the stringent views was Rav Kook. Rav Kook was not by any means, as we said, a Mekil in general. Rav Kook has a whole series of letters and tshuvas he wrote in which he uh, unequivocally decries and bemoans the Jews milking cows on Shabbos. Halakhically, it's absolutely usher. And he makes this point in a, a number of different letters. The first one I'm aware of was written in Tafresh Pei, in Sivan Tafresh Pei, so 1920. He was writing to the leadership of apparently a certain, uh, a certain agricultural settlement, something called Mikveh Yisrael. So he, uh, this was a letter that he addressed to, this is not really a halachic letter, he, this was more of an exhortatory letter, he was uh, expressing his, uh, his pain and his, uh, his displeasure with, with rumors that he heard that in this settlement they had Jews doing agricultural work on Shabbos. So he begins, he's addressing the leadership, he says, I find it incumbent upon myself, he says, to, uh, to, to tell you what, what's bothering me, what I've heard. He repeatedly says he doesn't, uh, he's not going to believe it, like we find about Lashon Hara, you're not supposed to believe Lashon Hara, but I've heard uh, rumors, he says, that the way your farm is run, the way your settlement is run, he says, that there are uh, very disturbing lapses in, the, in keeping the laws of Shabbos. Superly, he says, it has been told to me, I do not believe it. Some of the young people, the Jewish young people who work on the farms, they're Mechal Shabbos. They do types of work which is prohibited. For example, milking the, milking the animals, also watering plants, they, they water growing things, also in Isidaraisa of Zarea. He tells them, is this possible, he says, can such a thing be? We're getting, we're approaching the Geula, he says, we're approaching a gula senu, vel pedus nafshenu, the, the, the long-anticipated redemption is at hand. Our, uh, our statue, says, our coma, long been bent, is now, we, we say, zokev kfufim, Hashem is finally, uh, is, is giving us pride and glory of being a nation in our own land. 
we see with our own eyes, Hashem has remembered his nation, Kipakel Hashem is Amo, and the visions, of the, the visions of our hope that we hope for all this time, for the final redemption, are approaching. Again, Rav Kook was certainly not a uh, Haredi anti-Zionist. He certainly had a very different attitude toward the historical developments of the 20th century than some of his uh, reactionary counterparts did. But with all this, he did not feel that this was somehow, jud- this was somehow uh, it's not a new Israel with new rules and a new... Uh, and a new Torah, on the contrary, he says, because, we, because we're, we're, so, we're so grateful and appreciative of what Hashem is doing for us, he says, to be mekel in halacha, to start, uh, to start uh, disregarding halacha, he says, chas v'shalom. People now, he says, all these visions are becoming, uh, are becoming concrete and taking form and uh, taking shape in front of us. At this great moment in time, he says, are we going to turn our backs on the Torah, mekar chayenu, the source of our life? and violate the Yom HaKadosh, the day of Shabbos, which is Hod Kodshenu V'sifartenu. I don't believe this, he says. In any Mechabel MS as a Shmua Hazos, I refuse to believe that this rumor is true. However, he says, if, even if it's not a wholesale policy, maybe there are some young people who don't know the Halacha, they're, they're, they're Shogig. Therefore, I want to uh, just exhort you, I want to reiterate, he says, that please uh, keep an eye on this, please make sure that you establish clear rules and, and, and clear policies that no malacha should be done on Shabbos, and may God redeem us, and so on. Again, in letters like this, when Rav Cook says he doesn't believe that these things are happening, but if they are, please take care of it, you know, one has to wonder whether he honestly didn't believe it, or whether he was simply being, uh, it was a rhetorical device, he meant, I have such a high opinion of you, he was encouraging them to live up to the, to live up to the standards he held them to, one way or another, Rav Cook mentions briefly, without entering into, without entering into any uh, real halachic debate, I heard that young people on your, on your settlement are doing prohibited agricultural work on Shabbos. The two examples he gives are milking the, cat, milking the animals and watering the plants. This has to stop, he says. We, we, we see the great chesed, the great favor God is showing us. We certainly shouldn't reciprocate by, by turning our backs on his Torah. And therefore, please put, a, please put a stop to this. The next letter we have of Rav Cook was written about six years later, five and a half years later, in Tufresh Pevav. So that would be 1926. This letter was, was more of a formal tshuva. This was written in response to his great Svarja counterpart, Rav Benzion Meir Chayuziel. Rav Uziel was the one major, the most lenient of the, was, was the most prominent of, 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 the, most, of the lenient views. Rav Uziel was actually lenient and allowed Jews, with, with certain conditions, he allowed Jews under certain circumstances to milk the cows on Shabbos. Now again, Rav Uziel did not give a wholesale heter to milking cows on Shabbos. Rav Uziel actually wrote a number of tshuvas on this, beginning with, uh, with this relatively early one. Uh, Rav Uziel, when he sets up the, the I don't have the tshuva excerpt in the handout, but when Rav Uziel and Mishpate Uziel and Arachayim Simon Yud, when he sets up the, the background of his question, he mentions that there was a, this, this, this uh, epidemic that was going on was not really apparently, a, it wasn't affecting humans, it was something that affected the farm animals. It was a dever habehemos, it was a plague that was affecting animals, and somehow apparently, uh, it was, it, it, humans were a vector of transmission for this, or that's what they believed. And therefore, he said, the government, the, the British government, had put a you know, stay-at-home order. They, they, they had forbidden the, the movement of people from the villages, from the Arab villages, which was apparently where this disease was, uh, was breaking out, 
onto the Jewish, the Jewish Moshe vote. So the Arab laborer, you know, the Arabs didn't live on the Jewish farms. They, they, they commuted from the Arab villages. So the government now banned the, this, this commute, this migration. Therefore, we no longer have non-Jews who can do the milking on Shabbos. Says Rebuziel, okay, and the problem is that if we leave the cows unmilked until Matzei Shabbos, he says, alulos lehis takein, they can experience some type of danger, and they can lose their milk. And by doing that, he's not focusing on the Tzara Balechayim, he's focusing on the economic uh, fallout. He says, via this, if, if, if we have these great losses of milk, he said, this can cause the complete destruction, yeharei sligamri, the, the economy, the, the, the dairy economy of the Moshevot of Israel, which is a major source of Parnassah for hundreds of, uh, of, of uh, farmers and so on, he says, and all, and all their many workers. So there is a major, major economic need to find some solution. Non-Jews are not available. And there's a major need, he says, to find some kind of heter to allow the milking of the cows on Shabbos by the Jews. So Rav Uziel had a long tshuva going through this, the sugya in great detail, our presentation tonight is not going to focus as much on all the technical halakhic arguments uh, for or against, but Rebuziel, after an exhaustive summary of all the different opinions and all the different uh, opinions of, of the poskim, lahachmer and lahakel, and the various uh, and the various uh, ameliorating factors, Rav Cook, given given the Rebuziel, given the great shasad chak, where he says it's a great shasad chak for economic reasons. And he says, and, and there are a number of reasons for leniency. First of all, the, first of all, the economic uh, pressure, he says. Second, he says, we have, second, we have Yishuv uh, Eretz Yisrael. He says that uh, we, we find Chazal allowed, allowed Shvusim for Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, for the development and settlement of Eretz Yisrael. Furthermore, we have uh, Tzar Balechayim, the animals are suffering, he says. So he says, we can rely on the poskim, who say that milking cows is only drabanan. If it's drabanan, then we find that once it's drabanan, then the, then the share heter are open. We find all kinds of, many of these circumstances, economic, uh, economic great economic need, Yishev Eretz Yisrael, and pain for the animals, all these reasons. If it's drabanan, we can be lenient. So therefore, of course, therefore, of Ozeel said, in light of all the great uh, bases for leniency, we can be selmechan the Rishonim, that, it's, that, that milking cows in the first place is only drabanan. And the makom, these, these circumstances of the we can be lenient with assuming four, condition, four additional conditions are met. First of all, he says you have to milk with, uh, with a keli using some kind of implement, not be a daim as a form of shinui. Second, he says it has to be done uh, privately, that, that you can't do this in public, which will cause people to be too lenient in Helcha Shabbos. Third, he says there has to be. No, op- no possibility of non-Jewish labor. There has to be no option, which apparently there wasn't in this case, but we have to insist. This is, these had, his had to, with all of his shasad chak, and with all of his uh, shinui and so on, it's still only mutter if there is no, uh, no availability of non-Jewish labor. Fourth condition, it has to be, uh, it, it has to be done slowly, uh, just a little bit at a time, that which is necessary to ameliorate the suffering and pain of the animal because you're relying on Tzar Balechayim as well. And with, with, with all these study Heter, he says, and with all the Shatzot Chak, he's willing to be Mekel, and after all this, he wrote, Kol Zani Omer, Lola Halacha, Lola Maisa. I'm not even going to say this as Halacha Lamaisa. It's a, it's a proposal, this is my Shita, what I think we can do, based on all these, all these circumstances of need and study Heter, I think, uh, I'm, I'm suggesting tentatively a uh, Halachic basis to be lenient, 
but I'm not passing this way unless uh, other Rabbeinu Hagaonim Shabbatzenu, other great Gedolei Torah, will sign off and endorse his position. Rabbeinu in general is known as being a, a, a major mekel, especially when he felt the, the interests of the nation of Israel were at stake. He had a tremendous Avas Yisrael, which, which both post-Kemenistarians have argued influenced his psak Ravavadi Yosef. In, 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 in one of his tshuvas, where he strongly, he strongly, he strongly uh, rejected a certain position of Ravuziel, he wrote, uh, I guess kind of graciously about Ravuziel, he wrote that his great love for Klal Yisrael, Ha'ava Makalkelas Asashura, his great love for Klal Yisrael to do what he felt was in the best interest of the Jewish people, caused him to uh, improperly distort the halacha. But everyone agrees that's what Ravuziel did, he, that, that his great uh, sympathies with the nation of Israel caused him to influence his halacha, whether, whether, you, whether you believe that was correct or incorrect, but uh, it's pretty clear that's what he did, and this tshuva, to a certain extent, is an example of that. He, he couldn't tolerate the idea that, the, the, idea that the, the farmers would have this terrible economic crisis, so he relied on certain lenient views with all kinds of ameliorating factors, but he was willing to rely... On certain, uh, on certain lenient views and lenient, and lenient factors to allow Jews themselves to milk the cows. So this takes us to Rav, Rav Kook's second tshuva. So the Rav Uziel's tshuva here was dated, I mentioned a moment ago, Rav Uziel's tshuva was dated, actually it is not dated uh, exactly, but in the year, but in, in the year Tafresh Pevav, Rav Kook wrote a tshuva to Rav Uziel, his friend and colleague Rav Uziel, and he strongly rejects Ravaziel's position. He says, I have seen your, your faithful, your valiant efforts uh, on behalf of the benefit of our, our Jewish brethren, the, the owners of the dairies. However, Rav Cook says, after all your, uh, your yeoman's efforts, he says, it's very difficult to really justify it, to, to, to justify being lenient here, he says. It's something which is clear, according to most we've shown him, he says, it's an Isra Skila, an Isra Daraisi, Chayef Skila for this. You want to rely on minority views, it is Drabana, and he says, according to most we showed him, it's a, it's a Chi of Skila. He, since most we showed him that we have the Rif and the Rach and the Rebbeinu Tam, the Arzarua, others, he says, that uh, hold us Daraisa. Once it's Daraisa, it's very difficult to find any basis for leniency and to be Matir, something which is an Isra Daraisa, according to most Poskim, Ali de Yisrael. So at best, he says, uh, th- those who are going to spill the milk out on the floor, which obviously isn't going to help you economically, it's not going to help you, the dairy, get the milk, maybe it'll help the cows uh, not suffer and not deteriorate. That much, he says, even that, he wouldn't be making a but that we can turn away, we can tolerate in silence those who want to uh, milk like that. That's one of the major heterim in milking. The earlier post mentioned that in order for it to be a real malacha, you have to Let's, let's say dush, let's say threshing. Threshing is, you, you want the wheat, you take it out of the kernels, and you, and you take it. If you just milk on the floor where it doesn't go anywhere, so, so there are many opinions that that's not really the malacha, so that we could be lenient, he says. Even that, he, he wouldn't advise it, but he says, we can be malam ayin, we can uh, tolerate people who, are, who do that. Even that, he says, he wouldn't issue the haram of Fureshes, no Talmud Chacham, who's uh, no reputable Talmud Chacham should issue such a ruling, but we can tolerate uh, such conduct, that's acceptable, he says. That we, 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 can, we can tolerate it to kind of, uh, without giving an official endorsement of it. Avil Khalila Khalila, he says, but chas v'shalom, to expand the or further, to actually allow milking into bottles, to collecting the milk, he says, that's, uh, that's chas v'shalom, to allow this, he says. He has great respect for Evozeel, but, but he says he thinks this is just a bridge too far. 
no matter how sympathetic we are for the economic plight of the farmers, he says, you just can't be mad to this. I hope, he says, Hashem, that if we, uh, if we all cooperate and we all uh, strengthen those we all support and encourage those who care about Kedusha Shabbos, then uh, even, even now, under these circumstances, where, 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 the, where the mandatory rules make it hard for the Arab laborers to travel in, hopefully, if we really try hard and we really encourage them and support them, we can find some non-Jews who will be able to get in there, we can get the government to allow some people through if we explain how important it is, and so on. Gzeira vida debatla, a Talmudic rule that we have an optimistic view that difficult government edicts are not forever, that they, uh, that they eventually will, uh, will be relaxed and be repealed. So he says that to start uh, compromising a halacha because of this you know, short-term problem, he says, he doesn't think it's such a, it's, it's, really, it's really basis for leniency. Kalvachamur, he says, again, something which is muhra, according to that the ikra halacha is an isra daraisa, it can lead to a tremendous churva, pirza gedola, this is just such a tremendous breach in the, in the laws of Shabbos. Vada'i says, Certainly, he says, such a ruling shall not stand, it shall not be issued halacha lemaisa. And Rav Kook again is, uh, this time in a more formal halachic ruling, he says, there is, no, there, there is no legitimate basis of being lenient. The, the overwhelming the, the consensus of halachic authorities is simply too strong on that it's deraisa, that we have to be stringent. And therefore, he just doesn't think that, that, there is sufficient, that there is sufficient ground for leniency despite all the Shasr Chak circumstances adduced by Rav Uziel. Third letter of Rav Kook. This one was about three and a half years later in Tafresh Sadi Aleph in 31. Uh, four, four and a half years later or so. So, this one was written to a, to a fellow. His name is Moshe Skortovsky. Ha'adon, Ha'adon Mar, respectful titles, but apparently wasn't a Rav, but apparently he was someone uh, distinguished. He was in Pardes Chana. Again, a question of a Jewish Moshev. They had cows to milk on Shabbos. Uh, you're not allowed to milk cows on Shabbos. So again, the question is, so this Moshe Skortovsky had apparently, pre- apparently posed several questions, all involving agriculture and halacha to Rav Kook, asking for guidance. So Rav Kook responds in a brief tshuva, he has, he has three brief paragraphs addressing the three questions of Mr. Skortovsky. The first one deals with milking the cows on Shabbos. Says Rav Cook, once again, he reiterates his uncompromising position. Milking on Shabbos Kodesh by a Jew is Isser Gomer Bechil Shabbos Nora. Absolutely prohibited and a uh, horrific Chil Shabbos. Chas v'shalom, he says, Lahoraz Bezet Tzad Kula. Chas v'shalom, to issue any leniency, again, alluding to Rav Uziel and the others who were willing to be lenient. Chas v'shalom, he says. Ve'en shum derech, there is no solution to this problem. The only acceptable solution is kiim lachlo b'shalot z'aydei nachri. Use non-Jews. As our ancestors always did. As we noted, this is not a new question. The question about the, there was, the need to milk cows on Shabbos is an ancient one. Circumstances were different, obviously, but the basic question that, that sometimes it is Necessary to milk the cows is an old one. The solution always was use a non-Jew. Then Rav Cook has a very interesting couple of lines. He says, "Bechlal," he says, Yehudi." It's impossible to properly run a Jewish settlement without some non-Jews, at least a few non-Jews, because Hechroch, he says it's necessary. There are some things that are mutter on Shabbos and Yantav Dafka Day non-Jews. You always need a Shabbos guy, he says. So to run a to run a pure Jewish settlement with no 
with no non-Jews, he says, is not practical. You always need non-Jews to, uh, to be Shabbos Gayim. Every Jewish community needs a Shabbos Gayim. I, I was once reading an article by a contemporary writer, contemporary Orthodox Jewish writer, on immigration. He was trying to survey the, the Jewish, Jewish perspectives on immigration. So he wrote, this, this fellow wrote, that he, he talks about psukim, about loving the stranger, and so on, and he writes, indeed, Rabbi Ram Yitzchak Cohen Cook wrote that having strangers among us is an essential element of a Jewish settlement. I was quite, quite struck by this comment. I was, uh, I, was work, I was studying immigration at the time. I was quite intrigued to see that Rav Cook uh, really was so positive toward immigration. So I looked up the quote, and it was this tshuva, which is a, a tremendous uh, misquote of the tshuva. It's a tremendous... Uh, he's quoting it uh, totally out of context. Rav Cook was, did not, was not approving of immigration per se. He might, have, he might have felt that way too, I don't know. But in this tshuva, at least, Rav Cook is not... Uh, is not waxing lyric, lyrical about the importance of immigration. He's saying you need a Shabbos guy, so make sure you have some guy, so you can have a Shabbos, so you can have Shabbos guy. But uh, not that, not that, not he wasn't uh, he wasn't encouraging diversity and uh, that kind of thing. That was actually where I first saw this tshuva, and I first I first got interested in this question about milking the cows when I saw what the issue was. But in any event, this is what Rav Cook says: every Jewish community needs some guy, so they can be Shabbos guys. And then Rav Cook says something very, uh, a little bit cryptic, but very, uh, very, um, very interesting. He says, "The the laws of our holy Torah, are certainly stronger, immeasurably stronger, incomparably stronger, than all kinds of made-up customs that people have invented, all kinds of invented doctrines that people have made up." The Torah is Hem Chayenu, Varach Yemenu, Vyasot, Chiasenu, Admas Kodesh. Again, Rav Cook in his poetry, that the Torah is our, our, our life, Varach Yemenu, and uh, the foundation of our uh, resuscitation on our, in Eretz Israel. So Rav Cook has this, uh, this, 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 uh, this evocative but a little mysterious line the laws of the Torah are stronger than these uh, invented doctrines that, that people have invented. What does he mean? What, what invented doctrines is he talking about? What is he trying to, uh, what is he alluding to here? So I think it's clear that what he's alluding to, I mentioned briefly earlier, is the attitude of Avodayavrit. This was a very popular attitude uh, a century ago, mid-last mid century. Many, many uh, staunch Zionists believed that it was imperative to build the land using Jewish labor, to support Jewish labor, to not rely on Arab labor. This was elevated to, uh, to a mitzvah, to a hashkafa to a very, very strongly held belief that we must use Jewish labor, we must not use Arab labor. What I think Rav Cook is saying here is that whatever the value of this doctrine you invented is, it's not ground for Chil Shabbos. The laws of the Torah Kedosha are bavadai, incomparably stronger than whatever doctrines you made up. You don't want to use Arab labor, that's nice, that, but that's your own invented doctrine. You can't possibly hold that up in competition to the demands of the Torah, Nazi Machal Shabbos. This point is made explicitly in a tshuva of the Achiezer. Chaim Ozer Grudensky, writing in Tough Reish Tzadivov, this, this is already 36, 1936, after Rav Kook had passed away. So Rav Chaim Ozer, back in Europe, back in Vilna, was writing, a, a, he wrote a tshuva to a gadol echad, to an, an unnamed gadol. This gadol, about a number of different points, the tshuva goes on for several pages about a number of different issues. One of the, one of the issues was, the last one he discussed in the tshuva, I think, this Gadol had said that he had visited Eretz Yisrael, 
and he had se- and he had seen again in the 30s apparently he had seen that rubam kekulam shel shomrei Torah mitzvah most of the almost all of the of, of the orthodox forget the non-orthodox most of the orthodox were milking cows on Shabbos, Shabbos Kodesh themselves, not using non-Jews. Um, he says some of them were, were, do, were doing it by often that it would be an only an Esrim and Rabbanon, so according to the different, you know, Shinuyim and so on. Some of them were doing, uh, you know, relying on milking, he says, into food, which is if you, if, you, if you milk, if you squeeze out a liquid into food, instead of into an empty vessel, that's also grounds for leniency. It's Drabanan, but it's more lenient. Some of them do it even by Daraisi, he says, Says Ruchaim Ozer, Be'emes This is indeed a, a, a really disturbing phenomenon, he says. I, I heard, there, he says, he says well, a while ago, I had heard that they were relying on a certain, a certain lenient ruling of, an Ashkenaz, of a Rav from Ashkenaz, from Germany. He says, I, I, Ruchaim Ozer, I wrote to Rav Rami Yitzchak HaKohen Cook, Zatzal. I wrote to Rav Cook about this and uh, discussing the matter. And Rav Chaim Ozer says, he doesn't say if Rav Cook told this to him or he figured it out on his own, but he, but he says, the, he, he kind of explains the, the context of that last line I read from Rav Cook before. Yisod HaDover, he says, that the reason they're being uh, unaccountably lenient, he says, on Chil Shabbos, Yisod HaDover is Hume Halu Umim. It's from the nationalists, from the, the hardcore Zionists, Hapartsim, those who are uh, breaching, the, 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 the breaching the rules of Halacha. Asher Etzlam, he says, he says for them, Avodah Evrit is Docha Shabbos. Avodah Evrit, the, 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 the dogma of insisting on Jewish labor, is such an essential thing that it's even Docha Shabbos. And these are the hardcore ideological Zionists, he says, but following them, many of the Hamonam don't realize uh, how, how dubious the Heterim are. So that's what I think Rav Kook was referring to as well, when Rav Kook says that the, that the Shitos, that people were Bodemi Liban, that people invented doctrines of their own, can't be held up in, uh, in opposition to the Torah, Rav Chaim Ozer makes this point explicitly that, uh, that, that those who were lenient were doing so because they felt Avodah uh, writ uber alis, that that's the most important thing, it overrides even the laws of Shabbos. Rav Chaim Ozer, of course, like Rav Kook, takes for granted that that is completely misguided. No way, he says, you cannot be making. He says, recently also, he says, I was consulted by a great Rav from Ashkenaz, also, certain situations where the option of a non-Jew is impossible, it's not available, what should they do? They, 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 it, it, you can't just allow the cows not to be milked for a full day. It doesn't work, so what should we do? There's no, there's no guy available, what's our option? So Rav Chaim Ozer says, I was lenient, I was lenient as follows. B'Shasot Chak Gadol, again, with the great Shasot Chak, I allowed Kitanim, minors, to do the milking. And not your own children, because your own children, we say, uh, there's an Isser of Shvisas, uh, of um, A person is Mechuyev, a person is Mechuyev, a person is responsible that his children don't do Malacha for him. That would again be a, be a question of, of an Isser Daraisa, apparently. But other people's children, that, you know, they're, normally there are Chinuch issues, normally we don't want children to do Malacha for you. But Peshas had Chag Gadol, with there's no option of a non-Jew, and the cows have to be milked, he says, he, was, uh, he would allow it to be done by minors, with the additional tzadhater of Chalev L'Tocha Ochlem, having the milking be done into food, because again, that, that's a major basis for leniency, if you don't milk into an empty vessel. Again, that has to do with the technical parts of the sugya, which we haven't seen tonight, but if, if that, this, this applies in other contexts as well. Post can distinguish, if you're squeezing, let's say, lemon juice uh, into fish, 
It's more lenient than squeezing it over into an empty pot. Again, it's not muskim according to everyone necessarily, but, but that's uh, more of a basis for leniency. So if you're cholev l'tochem, if the milking is done into food, not into, I don't know what kind of food he was suggesting, but if you milk the cows into, into kalim containing food, and you do that by ketanim, efshir lahatir, we can be lenient, he said, in this case, again, like Ruziel, belihara pumbus, without an official public ruling. Um, he gives other etarim, he says, if you want to be cholev l'gabay karka, if you want to milk, you just milk onto the ground, where the milk just runs into the ground, and you don't keep the milk. That we find already, that for tar balechayim, they were lenient to do such a thing. So uh, that, that, that's even more leading to melachash and tzrichelagufa. So, again, so with these combinations of kulos, he was willing to be mekil with either using ketanim and into ochel, or he says, well, I'll get by karka with tzarbalechayim. So certain combinations of b'shazetcha uh, gadol, again, similar to Ravaziel, that he, was, he, was, he, he at least opened the door to being lenient in some cases of b'shazetcha gadol by ketanim or al by karka, not certainly by gadolim into, into regular kalim, but he was willing to, to countenance Again, in private, without a public hurrah, he was willing to count in certain leniencies, but certainly not the, 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 the general sweeping leniencies that were prevalent in Eretz Israel at the time. That, he felt, was completely illegitimate. That was, uh, that was a, an inappropriate, uh, inappropriate uh, subverting of Hilcha Shabbos, uh, placing them, uh, considering them less important than the demand of nationalism. That, he felt, was unacceptable. Rabbi Achiezer concludes with a very interesting and very characteristic statement. He says, this Gadol was trying to convince, this anonymous Gadol was trying to convince Rav Chaim Ozer to get involved and issue a public statement that milking the cows is, is Osir, by Jews. So he wanted Rav Chaim Ozer to come out with a public statement to that effect. Rav Chaim Ozer declines. He says, I would first rather try to discuss the matter with the Rabbanim in Eretz Yisrael and get them to issue a statement, because they're the ones involved. They're the local Rabbanim, they're the ones who are closer to the scene of the crime, so to speak. So let them do it. And this is something that Bachiezer, this is a position, my father points this out often, that Rechaim Moser was, first of all, Rechaim Moser was very sensitive to political concerns. He didn't want, he didn't want to... He, he respected other Rabbanim jurisdiction. He, he knew that you know, barging in like a bull in a, in a china shop wasn't always the right way to go. Now, in some areas, Rav Chaim Ozer and other postkin would say that the issue is so delicate that outsiders simply can't rule. That, that uh, in certain cases, it would, which involve subjectivity and, uh, and uh, understanding of the local conditions and nuance, Rav Chaim Ozer felt outside Rabbanim couldn't, couldn't get involved at all. In this case, it wasn't really a subjective question. It's, a, it's pretty much a question of Hilcha and the answer was no. So, so it wasn't so much a question, he didn't think he was competent to issue a ruling, but he felt it made more sense for the local Rabbanim. I mean, why should I, in Vilna, start telling people in Eretz Yisrael what to do? Well, I should encourage the local Rabbanim to, to, to speak up. You know, I don't need the headache of doing it. it, it the, the, it's their responsibility to, to, uh, to uphold religion in Eretz Yisrael. They'll be more listened to in Eretz Yisrael, maybe. So for a variety of reasons, uh, Rabbi Chaim Moser said, that this is not, uh, at least not, at least initially, this is not my job. I would much rather persuade the Rabbanon of Eretz Yisrael to, to uh, tell, admonish people that it's usher rather than getting involved. At the end of the day, most poskim were stricter than Rabbi Ziel. Most poskim were not so lenient. Most, Rav Cook was extremely strict. Most, many poskim were somewhere in between. They were willing to allow 
some types of milking via Jews with certain, uh, with certain other factors uh, combined. But again, once again, it's noteworthy that Rav Kook, for all his Zionism, surely nobody is more Zionist than Rav Kook, nevertheless, Rav Kook didn't, A, understood, it was pushed to him, that halacha still is the halacha. We don't live in a new world where halacha doesn't apply. The fact that the state, uh, the economy was before the state, the fact that the Israeli economy needs certain things doesn't mean that it's automatically mutter. Halacha is halacha. Chil Shabbos is Chil Shabbos. The fact that we see, we've seen all the grace of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in bringing us back to Eretz Yisrael, that certainly doesn't mean that we should reciprocate by ignoring his Torah. And of course, we have to uh, respect the Torah. And Rav Kook was often uh, quite strict. Rav Kook was not a mekel. In this case, Rav Kook was one of the one of the strictest of, the, of all the poskim, and he has, the, in particular, he has that, uh, that striking line about how the, the laws of our holy Torah uh, certainly uh, take precedence over all kinds of other doctrines that humans have invented for themselves.